And then he died. They removed his body from the cross. Joseph and Nicodemus wrapped the body and prepared it for burial. Now that's a ritual we do understand. They laid Jesus in a tomb right in the garden where he was crucified, and then he died. Followed by 24 hours of silence. Check the end of John 19 with the beginning of John chapter 20 and see, it's true. There's an entire day, no one says a word. It's a dark day. Sensibilities are overwhelmed. The author Peter Rollins, and if you have a sensitive stomach, don't read Peter Rollins. Peter Rollins says, Christians want to go through the dark night of the soul with the lights on. Take away Friday pain and, and bring us the Sunday surprise, please, God. My brother, the same one I mentioned last night who put his fists through drywall to kind of relieve his pressure, that same younger brother would pull my hair and pinch me, and I'd say, stop it. And he would say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm sorry when it's over. Well, then let's just move to that part. I used to tell him, let's just go to the sorry part and skip the pain part. It's true in the Christian tradition. We prefer the chirpy verses, the chirpy versions, don't we? We don't want you to grieve as others who have no hope, the Apostle Paul says. God works all things together for God's good. Thank you, La Sierra community, for all these years being willing to slow down on silent Sabbath. The day it appears, God is dead. So it's the Sabbath day, the day Jesus would be with his community reading scripture and going to synagogue and teaching and great stories and singing and potluck and putting wounded bodies in working order and being scolded for breaking the rules. This is the Sabbath day when God's most abundant agendas are on display. This is the day for celebrating God's generosity from creation, from the release of bondage in Egypt, claiming what God did in their past, that God would do in their future. It's the Sabbath day. How is it possible? Jesus, so central to God's story, died. God's story died. And in the background, remember, the lament of Jesus hangs like a sting in the air. My God, my God, why? My soul, my soul is troubled. They cast lots. They divide up clothes for themselves, the soldiers, while all of this is swirling around. My God, my God, this, is, this, this story, it's, it's about me, but it's also about you. When Jesus Christ, my God, why? It's not a request for more information. He's asking about reputation. The last words from Jesus in John's gospel after he released, asked the beloved disciple to care for his mother Mary, and after he asks for a drink, he's thirsty, and they give him sour wine. The last words from Jesus, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Something true of most great hero stories is a grand exit of some kind. Jesus heard these stories as a little boy on his mama's knee. There's the Jewish uh, hero, Eliezer. Eliezer is a high priest in the temple. He lived uh, at least 100 years before Jesus. Eliezer, when it was his turn, he also wouldn't submit to the authorities. They wanted him to eat pork. Are you ready for that? They wanted him to eat pork. They began beating him, and he would not. He would not submit. They, while they're beating him, they're telling him, just pretend to eat pork. We'll give you a different kind of meat to chew on, but pretend that it's pork and we'll stop beating you. 
Eliezer, the Jewish food laws. He's not eating pork. They flogged him. They beat him. And just before he dies, he says, I refuse to submit. It is clear to the Lord, though, though I might have been saved from death, I'm enduring terrible sufferings in my body. And I'm, I'm glad to be under this beating. I'm glad to suffer these things because I fear God. And then he died. 70 or 80 years after Jesus, there's Ignatius. Um, the Roman emperor arrests him, sentences him to die because of his new faith in one called Christ. They throw him in front of wild beasts and they allowed the beast to chase him down. Ignatius says, come wild beasts, come, T come tortures of the devil. I, I count it to be among the wild be beasts to be near to God. And then he died. Justin Martyr, He's beaten and beheaded by Rome with other Christians. Justin Martyr says, just before he dies, we desire nothing more than to suffer the Lord for our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he died. Polycarp. He's arrested to the stake, put in front of a pile of wood. He's arrested, staked to a pile of woods. He tells, the, he tells them, don't stake me down. Let me stand on my own. Don't tie me. And he stands in front of the wood pile. They light the fire. And then he speaks, Lord God Almighty, your will strengthen me. I praise thee, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you have, you've judged me worthy for thy hour, worthy to suffer for you. And then he died. In great hero stories, if you want to make a statement, you make a great exit. Jesus, though, says, three words as he exits, it is finished. This is a hero exit. This is how God exits this world. Well, says one author, actually, a hero wouldn't allow himself to be put up on the cross in the first place, so there's that. What is finished? It is finished. If you were with the crowds in John's storytelling and you saw the seven signs in John's stories, then maybe you remember there was a, a wedding feast in Cana where the water is turned to wine, or maybe you heard the rumor of the little boy who was cured from his fever, or you saw with your own eyes the man who had been sick for more than 30 years now standing up and, and taking up his mat and walking. Maybe you were one of the ones given a taste of bread and fish when you had no supper sitting on a hillside, or, or you stood on the seashore the night the mighty waves were calmed, or you heard of the time that the mud and saliva was put over the blind man's eyes, or were you among those disbelief that a dead Lazarus actually walks again among the living? Whether you're a committed disciple or an interested bystander in the crowd, all of those stories, that had to be good news. And then the hour comes. After several times in John's storytelling, Jesus saying, it's not the hour, it's not the hour, it's not the hour. Finally, it's the hour. Now it's time for some Messiah action. Jesus will what? Sit on a throne. Caesar's the throne Caesar used to sit on. Rome will finally taste defeat, for now it's the hour. And within a week, Jesus is dead. It is finished. What is finished? Church family, this is year 17 for me with a Bible open on silent Sabbath, trying to decide what needs to be said when the story of the cross circles around this year. How ought we talk about the good news through the horror of murder on a cross? 
I've been a little puzzled these weeks, truthfully. Maybe it's a year of shelter at home. Maybe it's a year of not being able to talk with all of you. Maybe it's this newest Gallup poll. The Gallup poll, these surveys they've been doing for 100 years, surveying Americans about religion. 100 years ago, by the way, Roberta Saunders turns 100 today. Happy birthday, Roberta. So when Roberta was born, the Gallup people began their work surveying Americans. A hundred years ago, 73% of Americans considered themselves to be members of a church or a synagogue or a mosque. In other words, the community was good for something and valuable. This week, Holy Week 2021, 100 years later, 47% of Americans think they're members of a church or a mosque or a synagogue. In the 100 years history of the survey, this is the lowest it's ever been. Turns out faith communities are, um, yeah, not, not what they used to be. There are complex reasons for this, really, in America, around the world. We've been watching this for a long time. And also, I've wondered over the years, is it us? Is it me? Is it the way we talk about God's story with humanity and creation? Is it because we argue on weekends like this over atonement theories? Je Jesus saves. We just don't all agree on precisely how. Is it that we insist on the wrath of God, that God must be satisfied, that there must be a blood sacrifice necessary, and that all of this is supposed to somehow woo people to a loving God who kills his own son? Is it that we've prioritized sin and guilt and shame and perfection? Is it even more than our doctrines or our teachings? Is it something we embody as a community? Is it us? It, you can't preach the good news and be the bad news. You know, Job in the Bible, Philip Yancey says, Job was doing all right when his, seven, when his friends sat with him and said nothing for seven days. That was a good seven days when everyone is silent. The problem began when they opened their mouths and started talking. Maybe that's how it's been with Christianity. L less is more. This rings true for me 17 years later, church family. I am less certain of so, I am less certain of so much. But that which I trust, I trust more deeply than ever. The story of God at work in Jesus on the cross, it, it's not a sin story. It is a love story. The headline is not evil. The headline is God. And the Gospel of John wants us to know that when Jesus says, it is finished, it's because the mission of radical love, of God coming to live among the people, the, world, the word becoming flesh, that has happened. It is finished. God came and dwelled with the people. Just before Jesus is arrested and put on trial, he prays in John chapter 17. Here's his last paragraph. Righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I know you. And these, the disciples, know that you've sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Before the foundations of the earth, God's mission was love. God's mission is love. God's mission will always be love. So show me a crisis in our world this week that cannot be helped when Christians commit ourselves to love. 
This is also part of the beauty of lament, that we bear witness, that we listen, that we hear, that we absorb the laments of one another. If we're listening in our world this week to the trial of the George Floyd murder, the aggressions that took one life and traumatized so many others, we hear lament from Minneapolis this week. If we're Jesus followers, we listen to those laments. We bear witness. We listen to the laments of the Asian Pacific community. We listen to the men. This week, holy laments. This week, holy week, it, it trans, uh, transgender awareness week. We listen to the laments of our siblings making their way in God's world. In the name of the God of the universe, it's not good until it's good for everyone. God always comes to us, but God comes with friends attached, and God's friends are our friends. What could not be helped in the world because Christians are committed to love? So we bear witness to one another's laments. Lament really only happens in community. To do this, we'll have to value this honest, thick, gut-wrenching work of truthful lament. It's Brueggemann who says that when we don't allow lament, the best we can actually offer is polite Christianity. Uh, polite Christians is better than rude Christians, I would say, but not nearly as useful as honest Christians. We've talked about this since the beginning of the year, from January to this day. What does it mean to tell the truth and what does it mean to allow the truth to heal us? If you have your experience box at home, perhaps you've been putting together this puzzle from Psalm 22 over the last day or so. The next movement in the lament in the Psalm 22 is the request for God. God, come help me. God, come save me. The first movement, we turn our face towards God. The second movement, we complain. The third movement, we ask for help only God can give. When the Psalms of Lament ask for help, it sounds like this. God, teach my heart every lesson you want me to learn. God, help me love what you love. God, my heart is so divided. Heal me. Heal me today. God, bless me. God, help me remove the lies of others from my life. God, give me rest. This is the third movement of Lament, asking of God what we need. We're in the thick part of Lament now. And it's also dark and a silent day in the life of God. Talking with one of our church members, Yvonne Whited, the last couple of weeks, she's had a couple of trips to the hospital. They can't really diagnose what's going on beyond her journey with chemotherapy the last, what, year or two. It's frightful. It's dark. It's scary. She told me last week, Chris, from my hospital bed, I called out for the angels to be present. And when I opened my eyes, I actually saw Jesus sitting in a chair in my hospital room. It was the most beautiful, comforting image that brought me incredible peace. That's lament at work. To cry to be, is to be human, but to lament is to be holy. Lament sounds different for all of us, friends. When you cry out, when I cry out, maybe we won't see Jesus sitting in the room with us, but some other deep awareness of peace and well-being. This is what it feels like when lament is heard. There is deep mercy in dark clouds. Remember on this silent Saturday that there's only one person on the cross. It is Jesus through whom God does God's greatest work, silent Sabbath. And we sit now with the two Marys and we keep watch the rest of this day. 
Where has everyone else gone? Have they gone home? Have, have they closed their shutters? Have they evacuated the city from Passover? Are they, are they actually wailing in the streets? We have no information. So we keep watch until Sunday morning at dawn with Mary and Mary. Oh, by the way, when Jesus meets Mary the next day, there will be tears on her face. He will not tell her, stop crying, Mary. The claims of this story, the claims of this Bible, the claims of the cross, they'll never be exhausted in one year or 17 or a thousand. Remember, tomorrow is another day. Silent Holy Saturday remembers Friday and it hopes for Sunday. This is well-traveled hope 2,000 years later. We get to Sunday by living through silent Sabbath. The psalmist is headed already to tomorrow. Tomorrow will be a good day. One of my favorite stories from pandemic is from the United Kingdom, Captain Sir Thomas More. Perhaps you picked up this story in the last few weeks. Um, Cap Captain Moore decided that he wanted to raise money for the charities in the UK. He decided he would do this by walking. It began as a family challenge, really. If he could just raise a thousand pounds for the medical workers. And so he began walking up and down in his garden with a walker. Can I even raise 1,000 pounds? But one week into his challenge, he had raised one million pounds. And by his 100th birthday, 10 months later, he had raised 39 million pounds for the charities in the NHS by walking with a walker in his backyard garden. His daughter, giving interviews a few weeks ago, said, her father is known for this one saying, tomorrow will be a good day. Captain Sir Thomas More caught pneumonia in February and then COVID. And then he passed to his rest along with about three million others during global pandemic. On this particular silent Sabbath, full of lament, full of a lament we didn't even know possible, Captain Moore echoes the Easter storyline very well. We'll leave the two Marys at the tomb of Jesus today, and we'll get to Sunday by passing through Sabbath. And I promise you, tomorrow, will be a good day.